Live from the historic parsonage of 19th century gospel minister George Norcross in downtown Carlisle, Pennsylvania. It's Iron Sharpens Iron, a radio platform on which pastors, Christian scholars, and theologians address the burning issues facing the church and the world today. Proverbs 27 verse 17 tells us, Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Matthew Henry said that in this passage, quote, we are cautioned to take heed whom we converse with and directed to have in view in conversation to make one another wiser and better. It is our hope that this goal will be accomplished over the next hour, and we hope to hear from you, the listener, with your own questions. Now here's our host, Chris Arnson. Good afternoon, Cumberland County, Pennsylvania, Lake City, Florida, and the rest of humanity living on the planet Earth who are listening via live streaming at ironsharpensironradio.com. This is Chris Arns and your host of Iron Sharpens Iron Radio, wishing you all a happy Thursday on this ninth day of November 2017. And I'm delighted to have uh, back today as a returning guest, the Reverend Dr. Matthew Richard who is an author and also a pastor at Zion Lutheran Church in Gwinner, North Dakota, a congregation within the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. And today we are discussing ministry and church planting in an ever-changing culture. And it's my honor and privilege to welcome you back to Iron Trepper's Iron Radio, the Reverend Dr. Matthew Richard. Thank you, Chris. Good to be here. And in studio with me is my co-host, the Reverend Buzz Taylor. And hello once again. And if anybody would like to join us on the air with a question of your own, our email address is chrisarnzen at gmail.com, C-H-R-I-S-A-R-N-Z-E-N at gmail.com. Please give us your first name, your city and state, and your country of residence if you live outside of the USA. And please only remain anonymous if it is about a personal and private matter over which you are asking. That's C-H-R-I-S-A-R-N-Z-E-N at gmail.com. Well, one thing I wanted to bring up right away that I uh, did not know the last time I interviewed you, Dr. Richard, is that you were, before becoming a member of the Missouri uh, Synod, the the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, you were uh, among the churches in the Lutheran Brethren denomination. And if you could uh, please give us... Uh, a definition of those folks because I uh, am familiar with Brothers in Christ from the Lutheran Brethren um, ever since I have become a Christian back in the 80s I was providentially running into folks in the Lutheran Brethren but I never really understood quite how they differed from uh, the Missouri Synod and the uh, Wisconsin Synod and some of the other uh, perhaps more liturgical uh, Lutheran churches. Yeah, yeah, I was a uh, part of the Lutheran Brethren for, boy, you know, since my childhood, actually, to be honest on that, and uh, served with them for about 10 years as a uh, ordained uh, pastor, and so went to their seminary in Minnesota, and then uh, served uh, churches out in uh, California, as well as uh, the uh, Montana, North Dakota area as well, and, uh, boy, I would say it's been about four years now since I've been the, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. And uh, what kind of uh, brought about the shift for me was um, I, I was kind of leaning towards more wanting to be a part of a, uh, 
church denomination that had a little bit more of a liturgical background, a little bit more of the liturgy, uh, a little bit more of the uh, aspect of the ancient church uh, connected with it, as well as uh, the Missouri Synod has a, probably a bigger emphasis, we would say, on uh, the sacraments, such as baptism and communion. So those were some of the things that uh, kind of pulled me towards the Missouri Synod, and uh, it just kind of came to the realization that, that I was probably just a better fit for the Missouri Synod. So uh, I did part ways with the uh, Lutheran Brethren uh, about yeah, four and a half years ago, and, and uh, it was a very, very uh, peaceful break, and so I don't want you know, listeners to you know, uh, get the impression that I stomped out or I was uh, you know, uh, kicking up a storm. Uh, it was just a peaceful break where uh, realizing I think it was a much better fit for the Missouri Synod. So, uh, but regarding the, the Lutheran Brethren, uh, it was probably, let's see, in the early 1900s it formed uh, a combination of several churches coming together, and they formed for the uh, purpose of uh, church planting over in Africa, and uh, so Africa and China and so forth. And so the Lutheran Brethren has a, a real strong heritage of uh, planting churches overseas. Uh, some, you know, 14 to 1500 churches in Africa, churches in Taiwan, uh, Japan, and uh, only about 110 churches, uh, last I can recall, in the United States. Um, but very much um, we, we would consider that uh, the Church Lutheran Brethren being low church, and so meaning that it's not very liturgical. Um, it would be uh, very typical of uh, uh, maybe kind of a very typical Baptist-type uh, church setting. Uh, the pastors wearing, you know, a suit and tie, uh, more of a relaxed uh, church service, and that's what would really differentiate it from the, the Missouri Synod, where the Missouri Synod tends to be more high church, more liturgical, and a greater, greater emphasis on the sacraments. And uh, having discussed the high church, low church divide, I know that there is even differences amongst Lutheran Church Missouri Synod congregations on how high or how low should you go. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And in and, and, and the North Dakota district, generally speaking, um, we, we, we tend to be a little bit more high church. And so, uh, you know, it's not uncommon to have uh, the chanting of... of uh, chanting the singing of the pastors, chanting the liturgy, and so forth. And so, uh, you know, with that in mind, you know, I, there, there's this understanding of high and low church, but there's also an aspect as well uh, that differentiates uh, the uh, Lutheran Brethren from the Missouri Synod, and that is kind of the emphasis of uh, pietism versus confessionalism. Uh, that's, that's a, boy, that's a whole other conversation, but, but really what that looks like is, is, uh, more of an emphasis on the pietism has more of an emphasis on uh, the prayer houses, uh, small group Bible studies, whereas uh, the the confessionalism has more of a focus on the rituals and then the uh, Sunday morning services. Uh, so maybe, boy, how do we say this? A little bit more formal versus a little bit more blue collar. And that's very, very, very much oversimplifying oversimplifying the subject, but uh, you can see that uh, difference as well between the two denominations. Well, I had uh, the privilege on several occasions uh, to uh, go to the Tuscarora Inn. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but that's yep, a... Yep, 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 I've been there, yep. That's a Luther Lutheran Brethren Convention Center here in Pennsylvania, Tuscarora, Pennsylvania. And uh, although it was not for Lutheran Brethren activities, uh, the uh, congregation that was very closely affiliated with the church that I was formerly a member of before moving to Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, from New York to Pennsylvania, uh, Hope Reformed Baptist Church in Medford, Long Island, New York. They uh, 
had an annual youth retreat at the Tuscarora Inn. They still might do it. I have to ask them about that. But I have some very, very fond memories of the Tuscarora Inn. But uh, today uh, we are discussing a ministry and church planting in an ever-changing culture. Actually, before I do that, I forgot to ask you once again to explain or give more information about Zion Lutheran Church in Gwinter, North Dakota. I know you've done it every time you've come on the air, but but we have a growing audience and we seem to have new people joining our audience every day. So there may be uh, quite a number of people that have never heard you on this program before. So if you could tell our listeners about Zion Lutheran Church in Gwinter, North Dakota. Yeah, Zion Lutheran Church is uh, in, in, as you said, in Gwinter, North Dakota. Gwinter is a town just southwest of Fargo, about an hour. We're in the southeast corner of North Dakota on the uh, North Dakota Plains. And uh, what's unique about Gwinter is we're about a town of about 800 people, uh, relatively small. But uh, right in the center of the town, we have a huge bobcat factory. Uh, bobcat skid steers, uh, the machinery, uh, they are all manufactured here in town. And so our factory employs, boy, around 14 to 1,500 people. And so <laughs> during the day, our, our, our little town swells to over 2,000 people, and we actually have traffic jams on shift changes as people come and go uh, for their shifts uh, working at the uh, factory. And the factory runs 24-7, seven days a week in manufacturing these uh, uh, machinery. And so we're, we're kind of a, a bedroom community to Fargo. Um, there's some open prairie in between us and Fargo, but a lot of people will commute from the area to come work here uh, in the factory. So uh, basically just imagine a factory on the North Dakota Plain uh, surrounded by some houses and a couple churches and a school, and that's, that's Gwinter. And uh, I'm privileged to serve some wonderful folks here at Zion Lutheran. Uh, the church has been here since 1908, um, and so... Uh, it's over 100 years old, the church here. And so we're a very, very modest-sized church, um, averaging right around 100 a Sunday, um, and uh, very, very faithful people here, uh, very consistent, very faithful, um, hardworking farmers and uh, factory workers. And I forgot whether you were raised in that area, but you certainly don't have the accent of the characters in the movie Fargo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I grew up actually in North Dakota. Um, I, I grew up about uh, 10 miles from uh, Canada, um, up in a tiny town called Botno, and uh, it's right in the middle of the state, and then if you go to the middle of the state and all the way up to the Canadian border. So I grew up there, and I, I, I guess people told me that I have much more of a Canadian accent from growing up in uh, Botno, and uh, I grew up playing hockey up there, Canadian hockey, and uh, we had the French fries and gravy and uh, all that stuff that comes with Canada. So, uh, yeah, the, my, my, my roots are here in North Dakota. So I consider myself a, a North Dakota boy. Um, you know, being back in my home kind of territory of North Dakota is just, just wonderful to be here. But about four hours from where I grew up. Now, if you didn't like hockey, you would be pretty much considered the way uh, conservative Americans would uh, view a communist. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hockey, hockey's really big up there in Botno, and like I said, I grew up playing Canadian hockey. We were so close to Canada, so we, we went all over the tiny little towns. And every Canadian town out there had two things. It had a bar and it had a hockey rink. And so we, we played in these tiny little towns and, and uh, these tiny little hockey rinks, and we'd go up there, and when it was 20 below, we'd drive up there and be playing on uh, these tiny little rinks with, you know, my dad would take us all over, my mom and dad. Uh, great memories of, of uh, shooting the puck around up there. 
Well, uh, now we can enter into our discussion on ministry and church planting in an ever-changing culture. And I understand that uh, you uh, have given a lecture on this issue where you basically uh, summarize the entirety of Christendom into three major periods uh, of uh, existence of the Christian church and how the Christian church has fared uh, in the world surrounding it, uh, starting from being a tiny minority surrounded by either uh, those faithful to Judaism or paganism, and then being more of a, <clears throat> a majority, not necessarily that the uh, church ever was uh, in reality, as far as regenerate people, a majority on the planet Earth, but at least there was a uh, more of a respect, a reverence for the Bible and Christian teaching, where even the common folk that were not Christian had a cursory knowledge of our faith in some degree, uh, at least uh, a handful of the bullet points of essential doctrine would have been known by your average person. And then, of course, the, the drift back to being a minority again, uh, even though perhaps uh, many people uh, in this country, even the United States, uh, whenever you hear of polls being taken, you will see that uh, the majority of people in the United States profess to be Christian, but that could obviously not be the case in reality. <laughs> this would be a far different country, I, I believe, if the majority of, of citizens of the United States were actually regenerate people, born-again people. But if you could uh, go through some of these stages and, and, what a br and what you believe brought about the changes... Yeah, yeah. No, first of all, we want to say, and you alluded to this um, in your comments there, that, that we're, we're painting with a rather broad, broad brush, I mean an extremely broad brush, in looking at Western civilization. So we're going to really start with 32 AD, which is the date that I use for the crucifixion. I mean, some people say it's 31, 32, 33, right in that range where Jesus was crucified and resurrected. And we consider that kind of the birth of the Church, uh, the birth of, uh, uh, of the Church, you know, uh, coming out of that uh, resurrection. And uh, so we start at that point, and then we're going to trace uh, kind of the history from that point in the first century all the way to the present age right now where we're at uh, here in Western civilization here in America. And so, uh, again, we're, we're going to look at approximately 2,000 years and we're going to divide those 2,000 years into three segments. And as you said before, the first segment is going to be a minority position. So Christians are going to be in the minority. When we think of a minority, that means that we're, um, you know, second class. You know, we're not, we're not in a position of power and authority. Christians are underneath um, another system. They don't have favor. They don't have, um, you know, this, this prestige that they would have otherwise. And uh, so that stage, maybe if we could do this here, we'll maybe cover each stage, and I'll just kind of pause, and then we can uh, discuss that. Would that work out, Chris? That's perfect. Okay, so, yeah, if we look at the very first stage, you know, we start, obviously, in 32 A.D. with the uh, crucifixion and the resurrection. And if we go from 32 A.D. Uh, to about 313 A.D., so it's approximately 300 years, and what we see in that first 300 years is that Christianity is really in a minority position, as I stated. And what we see with that, obviously, is there's a lot of persecution of Christians. Um, we can think of, uh, 
you know, Nero, uh, the Emperor Nero in the first century, he, he would kill Christians. He would take them, uh, and in order to amuse the people, the masses of people, uh, they would uh, dress these Christians in furs, and they would have them be killed by dogs, um, or they would crucify Christians. And there's even reports in, in that first century where they would light up Christians on fire, on crosses to light up the city of Rome. And so obviously at this point in time, we, we can sense a great deal of persecution. Uh, there were questions about who Christians were, what were they doing. Uh, they were labeled as cannibals um, uh, because the rumor was that they were eating somebody's body and blood, which was... Uh, you know, basically a communion, but it was a misunderstanding of what they were doing and uh, attacking the Christians from that perspective. Uh, we also understand that Christians, they conducted, conducted their worship in private homes and cemeteries and catacombs. And so to be a Christian in that time, you weren't respected, you were persecuted, and you existed in a very, uh, how would we say this, a very diverse and pagan society. And the Christian really had relatively no influence on the culture. So Christians were marginalized. They were on the outskirts of society. They were always under suspect and oftentimes killed. Uh, yeah, well, that, uh, th th that obviously is uh, the, uh, the birth of the church, uh, which, which is really uh, grew out of bloodshed. Not only the right. not only the bloodshed of Jesus Christ, uh, the primary uh, bloodshed that uh, is the foundation of our faith. Without which, we would have no faith, we would have no hope of eternal life, we would have no hope of a resurrection. Um, yeah. But uh, so, uh, tell us about how more about how uh, the church goes from being a persecuted minority. Uh, which actually began predominantly Jewish in its membership uh, to a uh, more popular and generally accepted community of people that became predominantly Gentile. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the, the real big turnaround came probably right around that 300 mark. Um, and around that 300 mark, there was an emperor named Constantine. And uh, Constantine... He had uh, the story basically, you know, paraphrasing the story loosely goes that he had some sort of vision and so forth of, uh, you know, victory over a battle. So he had all of his soldiers put the, um, it's called a chi in a row. It's the first two Greek letters of Christ. And they put it on their shields and they won a great victory. And as a great result of the victory, um, they, uh, uh, Constantine basically had a, a, favorite, a favoritism towards Christianity. He felt a gratitude towards it. And so in 313, in 313 A.D., uh, there's, there came about something called the Edict of Milan. And what this uh, edict was, was is basically an establishment at that time that you can no longer pick on Christians. So in other words, you can't kill Christians. We're not going to um, uh, basically bully them anymore. And so there was a, a stop to the persecution, a stop towards uh, persecution towards the Christians. And then really right around that time, Again, in the early uh, 300s of, of A.D., uh, there, there came about a, a favoritism towards Christianity where we see that Emperor Constantine, he appointed a number of Christians to high positions in government. And, and this is kind of amazing. All the Roman soldiers were ordered to worship on the first day of week, and churches were built and constructed for worship. And uh, there was a, a sense later on 
uh, Christianity was declared the official religion of the empire, and that happened uh, sometime down the road after this. So w what we see here is there's a shift that occurs, you know, some 300 years after Christ was crucified, where society begins to embrace Christianity, where the emperor embraces Christianity, and where Christianity kind of became the in thing for people at that time. So instead of burning Christians on, crucifix, on a crucifix, and instead of, of forcing Christians to uh, worship um, and have their uh, services in a cemetery, uh, now we see the establishment of churches being built, Christians being in high positions of authority, and Christianity now having a voice uh, where Christians could speak, and when they spoke, people would listen. So it's definitely a shift from this minority position for the first 300 years into what we call more of a majority position where, again, Christianity is in a favoritistic-type position in society. Now, I very routinely hear uh, from various groups or people within various groups. I'll give you an example like the Seventh-day Adventists, uh, a, a group of people who... Uh, I think are a mixture uh, of folks who are that range from uh, being on the one extreme cultic and on the other extreme liberal. Believe it or not, there are very liberal Seventh-day Adventists. And then between, you have people that are very broadly evangelical who uh, might believe identically or nearly identically with uh, your, your average modern evangelical with the exception of the day that they worship. Uh, so they will very routinely uh, blame Constantine, uh, and I use the, the term that they would use, blame. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't use the term blame, but they would blame Const Constantine for initiating the Christian worship uh, to uh, be taking place every Sunday rather than Saturday. They would, they would say that Constantine is the one that changed, radically changed, uh, what would be considered the Christian Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday. Do you uh, see any historical weight to that? Uh, you, you said something that triggered that in my mind about it being the law, the binding law upon people to uh, worship on Sunday or to gather for worship or at least consider it a holy day. But if you could uh, explain or respond to the Seventh-day Adventists and other groups that would that would uh, view Constantine as the origin of this. Yeah, you know, boy, I, I'm off the top of my head. I, I'm, I'm, boy, I'm going to dig way back <laughs> in the caverns of, of my memory here. If, if, if I'm not mistaken, I believe that Christians before that time of Constantine were actually having service on Sunday mornings. And the reason for that uh, was because that Sunday morning was the day that they came to the tomb and the tomb was empty. And so... It's, it's not that uh, they were trying to be defiant of uh, the Sabbath day on Saturday, but it was uh, basically looked upon that, you know, Sunday was the morning that they came to the tomb and, and Christ was, was, was not there. I mean, that's the good news that we have um, of the resurrection, that everything that Jesus did uh, and accomplished for us uh, was, was really that, that, that uh, finalized. And we could see that, uh, that resurrection was that icing on the cake uh, for the Christians at that time. And so, but the, really when it comes down to it, uh, we would say that, that the, the whole point and purpose of having a Sabbath day, a day of rest, which really comes back to the third commandment, remembering the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, is that we're setting aside a time 
in the week for us to gather together uh, to hear God's word. And really, I mean, every day should be a Sabbath for us as Christians as we open his word and as we hear his word. We're, we're captive to the word of God as Christians. And so, but more specifically, though, at least here in our, our town, you know, we have Sundays set aside, and that's the time that we uh, lay all of our work down, that we come and gather together as Christians, and we just set aside the uh, busyness of life, and we sit down and we receive God's word. We hear his word um, because our life is hinging upon that word uh, to hear about our sin and then to also hear about that forgiveness of sin that was accomplished for us in Christ. And so I think what can happen is that we can really uh, miss the main point of the third commandment, which is all about uh, being receptive and taking time to set aside to hear God's word um, but when we go the other route, uh, boy, I think we, I, I guess we can really miss the real main emphasis of it, which is, again, receiving God's Word. We're going to go to our first break right now. If anybody would like to join us on the air with a question of your own, <clears throat> our email address is chrisarnzen at gmail.com, C-H-R-I-S-A-R-N-Z-E-N at gmail.com. Please give us your first name, at least, your city and state, and your country of residence if you live outside of the USA. And uh, please only remain anonymous if it is about a personal and private matter over which you are asking. That's chrisarnzen at gmail.com. Don't go away, God willing. We're going to be right back after these messages with our guest, Dr. Matt Richard, and our discussion uh, on ministry and church planting in an ever-changing culture. We'll be right back, God willing, so don't go away. Tired of box store Christianity, of doing church in a warehouse with all the trappings of a rock concert? Do you long for a more traditional and reverent style of worship? And how about the preaching? Perhaps you've begun to think that in-depth biblical exposition has vanished from Long Island. Well, there's good news. Wedding River Baptist Church exists to provide believers with a meaningful and reverent worship experience, featuring the systematic exposition of God's Word. And this loving congregation looks forward to meeting you. Call them at 631-929-3512 for service times. 631-929-3512. Or check out their website at wrbc.us. That's wrbc.us. I'm James White of Alpha and Omega Ministries. The New American Standard Bible is perfect for daily reading or in-depth study. Used by pastors, scholars, and everyday readers, the NASB is widely embraced and trusted as a literal and readable Bible translation. The NASB offers clarity and readability while maintaining high accuracy to the original languages which the NASB is known for. The NASB is available in many editions like a topical reference Bible. Researched and prepared by biblical scholars devoted to accuracy, the new topical reference Bible includes contemporary topics relevant to today's issues. From compact to giant print Bibles, find an NASB that fits your needs very affordably at nasbible.com. Whichever edition you choose, trust, discover, and enjoy the NASB for yourself today. Go to nasbible.com. That's nasbible.com. Hi, I'm Chris Arns and host of Iron Sharpens Iron Radio, here to tell you about an exciting offer from World Magazine, my trusted source for news from a Christian perspective. Try World at no charge for 90 days and get a free copy of R.C. Sproul's book, Relationship Between Church and State. I rely on World because I trust the reporting. I gain insight from the analysis. And World provides clarity to the news stories that really matter. 
I believe you'll also find World to be an invaluable resource to better understand critical topics with a depth that's simply not found in other media outlets. Armed with this coverage, World can help you to be a voice of wisdom in your family and your community. This trial includes bi-weekly issues of World Magazine, on-scene reporting from World Radio, and the fully shareable content of World Digital. Simply visit wmg.org forward slash iron sharpens to get your world trial and Dr. Sproul's book all free. No obligation with no credit card required. Visit World News Group at wmg.org forward slash iron sharpens today. Charles Haddon Spurgeon once said, Give yourself unto reading. The man who never reads will never be read. He who never quotes will never be quoted. He who will not use the thoughts of other men's brains proves that he has no brains of his own. You need to read. Solid Ground Christian Books is a publisher and book distributor who takes these words of the Prince of Preachers to heart. The mission of Solid Ground Christian Books is to bring back treasures of the past to minister to Christians in the present and future and to publish new titles that address burning issues in the church and the world. Since its beginning in 2001, Solid Ground has been committed to publish God-centered, Christ-exalting books for all ages. We invite you to go treasure hunting at solid-ground-books.com. That's solid-ground-books.com and see what priceless literary gems from the past or present you can unearth from Solid Ground. Solid Ground Christian Books is honored to be a weekly sponsor of Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. Hi, I'm Buzz Taylor, frequent co-host with Chris Arnson on Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. I would like to introduce you to my good friends Todd and Patty Jennings at CVBBS, which stands for Cumberland Valley Bible Book Service. Todd and Patty specialize in supplying Reformed and Puritan books and Bibles at discount prices that make them affordable to everyone. Since 1987, the family-owned and operated book service has sought to bring you the best available Christian books and Bibles at the best possible prices. Unlike other book sites, they make no effort to provide every book that is available because, frankly, much of what is being printed is not worth your time. That means you can get to the good stuff faster. It also means that you don't have to worry about being assaulted by the pornographic, heretical, and otherwise faith-insulting material promoted by the secular book vendors. Their website is cvbbs.com. Browse the pages at ease, shop at your leisure, and purchase with confidence as Todd and Patty work in service to you, the church, and to Christ. That's Cumberland Valley Bible Book Service at cvbbs.com. That's cvbbs.com. Let Todd and Patty know that you heard about them on Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. And don't forget, there's a, uh, an offer that they are making there at cvbbs.com that you don't want to miss out on. If you purchase $50 or more worth of books, Bibles, and other Christian materials, you'll receive absolutely free of charge the hardback book, The Legacy of Luther. Uh, written by, or should I say, edited by Dr. R.C. Sproul and Dr. Stephen J. Nichols at Ligonier Ministries. Uh, this is a really wonderful book, uh, and I urge everyone to have this included in their library. And they are running out of copies. Uh, so if you want to get this book through their offer of purchasing $50 or more, 
I would strongly urge you to uh, go to cvbbs.com, cvbbs.com, and make sure you get your free copy of The Legacy of Luther with your $50 minimum purchase. <clears throat> you could also call them at 800-656-0231, 800-656-0231. I have been told by Todd Jennings over there at cvbbs.com that uh, by tomorrow the legacy of Luther will be completely gone uh, because it has been obviously a very popular item to offer through this uh, deal that they are providing of getting a free copy with every $50 or more purchase. So please go to cvbbs.com today and take advantage of those books before they run out. And you can also, as I said, call 800-656-0231, 800-656-0231. And while you're at it, uh, when you are browsing through the catalog of cvbbs.com, you might want to consider purchasing books published by Solid Ground Christian Books, which is our other uh, book provider who advertise here on Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. Uh, unlike cvbbs.com, Solid Ground Christian Books is actually a publisher, not just a book distributor. And therefore, cvbbs.com actually carries titles by Solid Ground Christian Books. And if they don't have them in stock, they can order them. So you might want to first go to solid-ground-books.com, solid-ground-books.com, find out what books you want, and then purchase them at cvbbs.com to get your free book, The Legacy of Luther, edited by Dr. R.C. Sproul and Dr. Stephen J. Nichols. Uh, the reason why I bring up our dear friends at Solid Grand Christian Books is that they were doing wonderfully in sales uh, from the Iron Sharpens Iron audience for months, and they have just recently hit a lull, a very drastic and serious lull in their sales. So please uh, do anything that you can to patronize Solid Ground Christian Books. Do a lot of your holiday shopping by purchasing books that they publish because they actually are a monthly advertiser with us and they help keep us on the air. Without their, their advertising dollars, we would uh, most likely uh, go off the air because we are having such financial difficulties ourselves these days. <clears throat> so uh, that is uh, my plug f for Solid Ground Christian Books for the day, and I hope that you take heed to it. And uh, we are back now with our discussion with uh, Dr. Matt Richard, author and pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Gwinter, North Dakota. We are discussing ministry and church planting in an ever-changing culture. If you'd like to join us on the air, our email address is chrisarnzen at gmail.com. Before we go back to our topic, Dr. Richard, why don't you tell our listeners, even though we've already uh, spent two hours discussing this with you on a previous interview. Why don't you tell our listeners something about uh, your book uh, that has been brought into print by Concordia Publishing House, Will the Real Jesus Please Stand Up, Twelve False Christs? Yeah, not a problem. Yeah, the uh, book, Will the Real Jesus Please Stand Up, is, was released this last June. I believe, I believe it was June 6th and, uh, by Concordia Publishing House. And it is a book that focuses on the 12 false Christs of our American society. And obviously there are going to be more than just 12, but these are 12 prevalent ones. And when I say a false Christ, these are false Christs, um, idols that we create in our own mind. And so oftentimes what happens is that individuals do not want to reject uh, Jesus, but yet the Jesus of the Bible they find to be maybe too... 
too complicated or too threatening to their own ideas and their own hopes and aspirations. And so what they do is they refashion uh, Jesus in their mind, kind of like an idol. You know, they take a, a hammer and a chisel and they, they, they chop away the aspects of Christ that are uh, not palatable for them. And then they add on different expansion packs of uh, ideas and personalities in order to craft Jesus into an image of themselves, which is ultimately an idol. And so these uh, 12 false Christs really explore uh, the journeys of different individuals, fictitious characters based upon real-life events, these fictitious people that you meet in the book, and you get to know these individuals and the false Christs that they've subscribed to. And the book is uh, very, very helpful from the perspective of helping the reader understand and spot, spot false Christ in society. And then there's also a section on, on a more of an apologetics, a defense of the faith, how to um, expose the false Christ, uh, confront them, and then ultimately at the very end uh, confess the real Jesus of the Bible. Great. Well, you can also get that book through cvbbs.com. Just call 800-656-0231. 800-656-0231, and if they don't already have it in stock, uh, Todd and Patty Jennings can order Will the Real Jesus Please Stand Up by our guest today, Dr. Matthew Richard, and you can also mention uh, to Todd and Patty that that is a Concordia Publishing House publication. So we hope that you order that today and get your $50 worth of uh, purchases uh, to receive the free book by R.C. Sproul and Stephen J. Nichols, uh, The Legacy of Luther. But uh, we are going to a, a listener now, uh, a listener question from Slovenia. And this is Joe in Slovenia. And uh, I had Joe's question right in front of me. And, oh, here it is. Uh, Dear Brother Chris, thanks so much for having Brother Matt back. I enjoy his insights into historical cultural trends an application of the gospel to the current hodgepodge of contemporary worldviews. I found this quote in his online presentation of your topic. We have come with some confidence to believe that a significant part of Christianity in the United States is actually only tenuously Christian in any sense that it is seriously connected to the actual historical tradition. It is not so much that U.S. Christianity is being secularized, rather, more subtly, Christianity is either degenerating into a pathetic version of itself, or, more significantly, Christianity is, actu is actively being colonized and displaced by quite a different religious faith. Wow, that's pretty powerful stuff, but I couldn't say that I disagreed with a single word of it. Uh, what are the colonizing forces that are displacing Christianity with quite a different religious faith? What is that quite different religious faith? And what should we be doing and being? Thanks again for an awesome topic for our day. That's Joe in Slovenia. Yeah, yeah, oh boy, yeah, that's, that's good stuff. You know, the, the thing is, as, as we're kind of examining this his, the historical move and the shifts that have been happening, um, what is, where we're at right now since probably the 1970s um, is that we've moved away from uh, that majority period where, where Christianity was kind of in the uh, mainstream. And what has happened is we've been drifting away from that. But, you know, like anything, when you drift away from something that was in a majority position, uh, what can happen is that you retain different aspects of it, and then you allow it to uh, amalgamate um, or blend with other ideologies 
um, uh, happening in uh, in the culture. But the, the point of the, the key of that that quote there, though, is is it's 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 that the church itself within the church itself Christianity itself has bought into um, all these ideologies and is implementing these ideologies within the very walls of the church. And so what that means is that you can oftentimes go to churches and you you will hear different. Um, different ideologies, different um, ways of thinking that are definitely not from the scriptures, but they're being promoted and um, shared within the church, even from the pulpit, um, as being a Christian truth. And so not only have we allowed those ideologies to come into the church, but oftentimes we find pastors, uh, boy, this just makes us, this should make us say, Lord, have mercy, but we hear pastors uh, not promoting uh, the theology of the cross. They end up promoting um, self-help uh, garbage. I don't know how to say it nicely, but uh, self-help garbage rather than the gospel of Jesus. And so the, 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 the blame can be, to a certain extent, be put on culture, but we as Christians have to look inside and look at our own house and realize that we've made a mess on the inside of the house, doing it by our own selves, by, by our own endeavors. And so, uh, yeah, definitely very, very problematic. And, and this really, you know, to, to get to this point is really kind of this history that we're kind of talking about today, how we actually got here, um, and this dating all the way back uh, to that, uh, the, the majority period, how we kind of came out of it to where we are now. Well, thank you, Joe. Please keep uh, listening to Iron Sharp and Zion Radio and keep spreading the word about the program in Slovenia and beyond. Uh, well, uh, our guest, or should I say, uh, li- our listener in Slovenia, kind of pushed us forward in time. But let's let's backtrack a little bit uh, because we uh, did take quite a leap forward uh, in regard to where our discussion was before he sent in his question. Uh, we reached a point where uh, it's actually uh, in the Roman Empire became the law uh, to. Uh, worship as a Christian. Now, now uh, was, did that mean there was no tolerance for any other uh, religious faiths under the reign of Constantine? Well, you know, this is the thing. is, I mean, it, 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 we have to understand that, that that 313, that Edith of Milan, that's kind of the, the point where, now, again, I'm going to back up here again. What we're, we're painting with a rather broad brush in talking about this. So I'm using that 313 A.D. mark as that point uh, where Christianity was no longer allowed to be persecuted, which then, uh, you know, time and history, things take time to evolve and, and, and come about uh, through the different circumstances and events. And so really what we see is we see Christianity going from that minority position where it was misunderstood, uh, people didn't understand the narrative of Christianity, the general idea of, you know, like the story of Jesus being born in Bethlehem, the story of his life, uh, those basic stories, of, uh, you know, the Ten Commandments and Moses and Noah. Um, the, the basic biblical narrative was not realized in the first 300 years. However, after that 313 mark, where Christianity then started to see some favor within the, uh, the economy and the, the, the culture at that time, and that's when it really emerged uh, to a much more prominent position. So we have to keep in mind that before this time, Rome was very much uh, a very paganized, and uh, so they, they, they tolerated Christians, uh, you know, they, they persecuted them, but they also tolerated them to a certain extent. Um, but then we see after 313, Christianity moved into a much more favorable position. And that narrative, that story of Christianity, began to take root in Western civilization. 
And so then from that 313 AD and on, we see much, much more uh, that narrative, the story, art, um, the artwork, uh, language, uh, the mentality of the individual uh, began more and more to be Christianized. And so the point being that I'm trying to make here is in this second period from 313 AD all the way up to the 1970s, again, very broad stroke when we make that, uh, we can assume at that time, in this majority position, uh, Christianity was, in a certain, a certain extent, respected. The story of Christianity was understood. So then when you can talk to a person in society, whether or not they were a Christian or not, they had a general understanding of the narrative, of the story, of, of, of a, you know, a theistic, a theist, uh, more of a, of a God, God-centered worldview, I guess we could say it that way. And so there was a common understanding when it came to evangelism. You could start from the perspective of there being a God, start from a perspective with the understanding of what grace actually was or the atonement. You could say these words, and for the most part, the average person would have a, a, a basis of understanding that you could bridge and talk to them when evangelizing. Now, I would have uh, many of my Calvinist brethren very upset with me if I didn't say something here, and I'm, I'm certain that you might have a number of your own Lutheran brethren, and I don't mean Lutheran brethren as the Lutheran brethren denomination, I mean your Missouri Synod Lutheran brethren, uh, very upset if we did not make a clarification that uh, although we would all share much of the patristic era uh, as our own as well. The Roman Catholics uh, do not have uh, ownership of the patristic period. Uh, the, their claims that the Church Fathers were all unanimously in favor of their understanding of religion and salvation and so on is, is just a, it's a lie. It's a, it's a, re a revisionism of history. Uh, in fact, many of the primary dogmas of Rome today are not to be found anywhere in the patristic writings, but uh, we do have to bring to the attention of our listeners that we do not believe that the during the Dark Ages and so on, where you had so much power uh, that was being wielded by the Church of Rome, uh, that this this era was a era where the the gospel was. Uh, everywhere to be heard and believed and that there was not uh, serious persecution going on by those claiming to be Christian, uh, meaning the, the Roman Catholic uh, Church uh, wielding their sword against those who were beginning to discover the true gospel and the truths of Scripture underneath the rubble of Rome's idolatry and superstition. I mean, isn't that true? Even though they're, as you are generalizing here about this being a a period within what we would call Christendom, it's still uh, not a pretty sight for those who actually believe in the true gospel. Yeah, yeah. Again, I'm, I'm you know, as, as you stated there, when we're talking about this, we're talking about just a basic understanding of how the uh, church was treated by more, we would say more so the, the, uh, uh, the secular sphere, right? And so the, the left-hand kingdom, the, the kingdom of the left hand, which would be the government, the state itself. And so 
uh, we see really, like I said, that 300 mark and on. Uh, generally speaking, the, the uh, state um, itself was more favorable towards Christianity. But unfortunately what happened, as you alluded to here, what happened was the church grew to the point where the right-hand kingdom, uh, we, we Lutherans use, and um, other, I'm not sure if, if this is familiar with your background, but we use left and right-hand kingdom, left being the state, the right-hand kingdom being the church. And what we see here is as time went on, the church became so influential that the right-hand kingdom began to dominate over the left-hand kingdom. And so we really see a reversal of what was happening in that first minority period, where if you date back to the early church, the state was burning Christians. The left-hand kingdom was uh, stomping all over the right-hand kingdom of the church, whereas we see in the uh, time of the uh, the, the height of the uh, Roman Catholic Church, the, the Pope had so much power. I mean, he, the Pope wielded, the, the Catholic Church wielded a tremendous amount of power, uh, even over the state itself. And so that's the shift that's happening. So the point being made here is during that time, uh, generally speaking, the, the narrative was there. Now, again, as you hit, I don't think we can say that everyone got the narrative. Everyone understood the message of the gospel, but the pieces themselves were actually there um, for them to um, uh, understand uh, the basics of, of Christianity. But we can hit this a little later on, too. In my, my humble opinion, though, uh, the church, the Christ church, typically functions um, much, much more healthy uh, when it is in that minority period, when it's actually being uh, persecuted itself. and so, But we can get onto that a little bit later on as we discuss that uh, second minority period. Uh, well, uh, where would you like to bring us now as far as uh, leaving the age where at least there was a common understanding and respect and reverence towards what would be called Christendom and the scriptures and and uh, a, a general cursory knowledge of some main beliefs within uh, Christianity that were, were commonly known amongst even those that were not either religious at all or perhaps even part members of other religions. Yeah, if, if we can kind of take that journey from, you know, the, again, a broad brush here, if we go from that 313 A.D. and we go throughout all of church history. Now, we're going to be kind of uh, jumping over a huge section of the Reformation and so forth, the 1400s and the 1500s and 1600s. But if we take this journey from over uh, in basically Israel and Europe, and we travel all the way over to the United States, uh, what we find here in the United States is that, at the very foundation at least, uh, there was definitely a uh, uh, Christianity itself found itself in a majority position. Uh, you know, you look at uh, our founding documents, you look at uh, the founding fathers of our country, um, you know, there could be a whole lot of uh, conversation whether or not, you know, what was the actual uh, Christianity flavor of some of our founding fathers, but nonetheless, I don't think anyone can deny that that basic narrative of, of, of Christianity was there, that the pieces were there. And so we see in the American landscape, you see, you know, towns springing up and at the very center of the town, you would see a church, and the big steeple would actually be over top of the trees, and it would be the center of the uh, city. And the uh, pastors of these churches were oftentimes the most educated and well-respected people in town. And so uh, church was much more prevalent, where many times individuals were at church uh, four, five, six times a week. Um, so the message of Christianity was, was there in our American culture at its roots, 
uh, very prevalent in society, and again, this majority position. But this all kind of came to a halt and it changed. And the date that I kind of use is in the 1960s and 70s. And at that time, in the 60s and 70s, we, we have for the first time um, attendance in churches starting to um, you know, uh, uh, shift and change. Uh, before that time, you would go into any church and you would find a consistent amount, a number of people in their 20s and 30s and 40s, 50s and 60s. In fact, across the board, you would have a very, very blended church service with having people of all different ages uh, in the church. But after the 1960s and 70s, for the first time, what we see is that churches then are uh, being vacated by oftentimes, we could say, the younger individuals of the church. And then we see from that time on, we see that school, in schools, prayer was removed from school in 1962. Uh, we can also see the teaching of evolution in the public school. Uh, we see that devotional Bible re reading was removed from the school in the 60s. And then there's been, a, ever since then, there's been attempts to remove uh, God from the Pledge of Allegiance, um, the Ten Commandments being removed from courthouses. So we see this shift since the 1960s and 70s all the way up to our current day and age, uh, the shift where there's a rejection of the church having a prevalent spot in society. Uh, and so again, we're shifting away from that majority position and we're entering into a second minority position, much like how we see in the very first 300 years of the church. Well, we're going to a break right now. Um, I'm going to read a listener question to you that you can mull over during the break and answer it when we return. Uh, we have RJ in White Plains, New York, who says, are you are you speaking primarily in regard to American Christianity? Because I understand Europe is practically a barren wasteland, which even which has even a worse existence for the church in our day and age than the United States. So I'm wondering if they would have perhaps a different timeline. And you can answer, R.J., when we come back from our break. If anybody else would like to join us on the air with a question of your own, our email address is chrisarnzen at gmail.com, C-H-R-I-S-A-R-N-Z-E-N at gmail.com. Don't go away. God willing, we'll be right back after these messages from our sponsors. Paul wrote to the church at Galatia, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Hi, I'm Mark Lukens, pastor of Providence Baptist Church. We are a Reformed Baptist Church, and we hold to the London Baptist Confession of Faith of 1689. We are in Norfolk, Massachusetts. We strive to reflect Paul's mindset to be much more concerned with how God views what we say and what we do than how men view these things. That's not the best recipe for popularity, but since that wasn't the Apostles' priority, it must not be ours either. We believe, by God's grace, that we are called to demonstrate love and compassion to our fellow man, and to be vessels of Christ's mercy to a lost and hurting community around us, and to build up the body of Christ in truth and love. If you live near Norfolk, Massachusetts, or plan to visit our area, please come and join us for worship and fellowship. You can call us at 508-528-5750, that's 508-528-5750, or go to our website to email us, listen to past sermons, worship songs, or watch our TV program entitled Resting in Grace. You can find us at Providence Baptist Church, MA.org. That's Providence Baptist Church, MA.org. 
or even on sermonaudio.com. Providence Baptist Church is delighted to sponsor Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. One sure way all Iron Sharpens Iron Radio listeners can help keep my show on the air is to support my advertisers. I know you all use batteries every day, so I'm urging you all from now on to exclusively use BatteryDepot.com for all your battery needs. At BatteryDepot.com, they're changing the status quo. They're flipping the script. They're sticking it to the man. In other words, they'd like to change the battery industry for good by providing an extensive inventory of top-of-the-line batteries that are uniformly new, dependable, and affordable. Ordering from BatteryDepot.com ensures you'll always get fresh out-of-the-box batteries you can count on to work properly at competitive prices. Whether you need batteries for cordless phones, cell phones, radios, PCs, laptops, tablets, baby monitors, hearing aids, smoke detectors, credit card readers, digital cameras, electronic cigarettes, GPSs, MP3 players, watches, or nearly anything else you own that needs batteries. Go to BatteryDepot.com. Next day shipping available. All products protected by 30-day guarantees and six-month warranties. Call 866-403-3768. That's 866-403-3768. Or go to BatteryDepot.com. That's BatteryDepot.com. Every day at thousands of community centers, high schools, middle schools, juvenile institutions, coffee shops, and local hangouts, Long Island Youth for Christ, staff and volunteers meet with young people who need Jesus. We are rural and urban, and we are always about the message of Jesus. Our mission is to have a noticeable spiritual impact on Long Island, New York, by engaging young people in the lifelong journey of following Christ. Long Island Youth for Christ has been a stalwart bedrock ministry since 1959. We have a world-class staff and a proven track record of bringing consistent love and encouragement to youths in need all over the country and around the world. Help honor our history by becoming a part of our future. Volunteer, donate, pray, or all of the above. For details, call Long Island Youth for Christ at 631-385-8333. That's 631-385-8333. Or visit liyfc.org. That's liyfc.org. Chef Exclusive Catering is in South Central Pennsylvania. Chef Exclusive's goal is to provide a dining experience that is sure to please any palate. Chef Damian White of Chef Exclusive is a graduate of the renowned Johnson & Wales University with a degree in culinary arts and applied science. Chef Exclusive Catering's event center is newly designed with elegance and style and is available for small office gatherings, bridal showers, engagement parties, and rehearsal dinners. Critics and guests alike acknowledge Chef Exclusive's commitment to exceeding even the highest expectations. I know of their quality firsthand since Chef Exclusive catered my most recent Iron Sharpens Iron Radio Pastors Luncheon. For details, call 717-388-3000. That's 717-388-3000. Or visit chefexclusive.com. That's chefexclusive.com.
Have you been blessed by Iron Sharpens Iron Radio? We remain on the air because of our faithful sponsors and because of listeners like you. There are four ways you can help. First, do you know potential sponsors who may wish to advertise their goods or services on Iron Sharpens Iron Radio? Second, whenever possible, purchase the products or use the services that our sponsors advertise. And then let them know that you heard about them on Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. Thirdly, you can also donate to Iron Sharpens Iron Radio by going to our website at ironsharpensironradio.com and click support at the top of the page. But most importantly, keep Iron Sharpens Iron Radio in your prayers. We hope that Iron Sharpens Iron Radio blesses you for many years to come. Iron Sharpens Iron Radio is sponsored by Harvey Cedars a year-round Bible conference and retreat center nestled on the Jersey Shore. Harvey Cedars offers a wide range of accommodations to suit groups up to 400. For generations, Christians have enjoyed gathering and growing at Harvey Cedars. Each year, thousands of high school and college students come and learn more about God's Word. An additional 9,000 come annually to Harvey Cedars as families, couples, singles, men, women, pastors, seniors, and missionaries. 90 miles from New York City, 70 miles from Philly, and 95 miles from Wilmington, and easily accessible, scores of notable Christian groups frequently plan conferences at Harvey Cedars, like the Navigators, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, Campus Crusade, and the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Find Harvey Cedars on Facebook, or at hcbible.org, hcbible.org. Call 609-494-5689, 609-494-5689. Harvey Cedars, where Christ finds people and changes lives. Hi, I'm Pastor Bill Shishko, inviting you to tune in to A Visit to the Pastor's Study every Saturday from 12 noon to 1 p.m. Eastern Time on WLIE Radio, www.wlie540am.com. We bring biblically faithful pastoral ministry to you, and we invite you to visit the Pastor's Study by calling in with your questions. Our time will be lively, useful, and I assure you, never dull. Join us this Saturday at 12 noon Eastern Time for a visit to the Pastor's Study because... Charles Haddon Spurgeon once said, Give yourself unto reading. The man who never reads will never be read. He who never quotes will never be quoted. He who will not use the thoughts of other men's brains proves that he has no brains of his own. You need to read. Solid Ground Christian Books is a publisher and book distributor who takes these words of the Prince of Preachers to heart. The mission of Solid Ground Christian Books is to bring back treasures of the past to minister to Christians in the present and future, and to publish new titles that address burning issues in the church and the world. Since its beginning in 2001, Solid Ground has been committed to publish God-centered, Christ-exalting books for all ages. We invite you to go treasure hunting at solid-ground-books.com. That's solid-ground-books.com and see what priceless literary gems from the past or present you can unearth from Solid Ground. 
Solid Ground Christian Books is honored to be a weekly sponsor of Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. And we apologize for cutting off the ad with our friend Bill Shishko, host of A Visit to the Pastor's Study, who is also a regional home missionary for Reformation Metro New York and a retired Orthodox Presbyterian pastor uh, who was our most recent speaker at the Iron Sharpens Iron Radio Pastor's Luncheon. And what a delight that was to hear Pastor Bill preach again after so many years of uh, myself not having heard him. Uh, I used to hear him quite often when living on Long Island uh, since the 1980s uh, through the early 2000s, and uh, there was quite a dry spell for me in hearing Pastor Bill after moving to Pennsylvania, but it was so great to hear him preach again. And uh, but by the way, just to remind you, his show can be heard every Saturday 12 noon to 1.30 p.m. at WLIE540AM.com. WLIE540AM.com, and that's where you can hear it globally via live streaming. <clears throat> well, uh, before we return to our discussion with Dr. Matt Richard on ministry and church planting in an ever-changing culture, we do have a couple of important announcements to make in regard to special events that are coming up being conducted by our sponsors. The Quakertown Conference on Reformed Theology is coming up November 17th through the 18th, which is an event of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. And always remember, it's not the Reformed Town Conference on Quaker Theology. (laughs) It is the Quakertown Conference on Reformed Theology, named because of the fact that it is held at the Grace Bible Fellowship Church in Quakertown, Pennsylvania. And this year, uh, or should I say, uh, this, uh, this November, this month, uh, from the 17th through the 18th, the theme will be for Still Our Ancient Foe, a line that I'm sure is very familiar to our guest today, Dr. Matt Richard. It's a line from Martin Luther's classic hymn, A Mighty Fortress, in reference to Satan, our ancient foe. And the speakers at the, the, the uh, Quakertown Conference on Reformed Theology this time around include Kent Hughes, Peter Jones, Tom Nettles, Dennis Cahill, and Scott Oliphant. If you would like to register for this event, go to alliancenet.org, alliancenet.org, click on events, and then click on Quakertown Conference on Reformed Theology. God willing, the Reverend Buzz Taylor, my co-host, and I will be there manning an Iron Sharpens Iron exhibitor's booth. So if you are registering, please uh, come and greet us. And if you live anywhere near Pennsylvania, I urge you to please try to get to that conference and please let the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals know that you heard about it from me and Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. Then coming up in January from the 17th through the 20th, the G3 conference returns to Atlanta, Georgia, the G3 standing for Grace, Gospel, and Glory. The theme uh, in January will be Knowing God, a Biblical Understanding of Discipleship. January 17th will be exclusively a Spanish-speaking edition of the conference, and the 18th through the 20th will be the English-speaking conference. And that conference includes Stephen Lawson, Vody Balcom, Phil Johnson, Keith Getty, H.B. Charles Jr., Tim Challies, Josh Bice, James White, Tom Askell, Anthony Mathenia, Michael Kruger, David Miller, Paul Tripp, Todd Friel, Derek Thomas, Martha Peace, and Justin Peters. If you'd like to register for the G3 Conference, go to g3conference.com. 
g3conference.com, and please let those folks know that you heard about the conference from Chris Arnzen on Iron Sharpens Iron Radio, and I do intend to be there manning an exhibitor's booth for Iron Sharpens Iron Radio in Atlanta, Georgia, so please greet me if you are intending to go and you wind up going. I would love to see many new faces as well as seeing old faces again. And uh, now we have to enter that period of the program that is the most difficult and most uncomfortable for me is where I beg you for money because we are in a seriously dangerous financially financial situation here at Iron Trip and Zion Radio. We are in genuine risk of going off the air. If you really love this program, you don't want it to disappear. If you look forward to it every day, if you are edified by the guests and topics, if you share the MP3s with your friends and you just think that this program is a blessing to you, then please go to ironsharpensironradio.com, click on support, and then mail a check to the address you will see uh, by clicking support and make out your check to Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. Uh, never, ever, ever siphon money out of your regular giving that you're accustomed to to your local congregation. Never do that. Never uh, take food off of your family's dinner table if you're struggling to make ends meet because those are two commands of God providing for your family and your, ho- and your church. Uh, providing for Iron Sharp and Zion Radio is not a command of God. But if you are blessed above and beyond your ability to financially obey those two commands, then please consider supporting Iron Sharpens Iron Radio as well. And we would love for you to become a monthly supporter, as some of you already have become monthly supporters of our program. And I thank God for you in more ways than I can ever describe to you. Uh, And if you want to advertise with us, send me an email to chrisarnson at gmail.com. chrisarnson at gmail.com and put advertising in the subject line. And whatever it is that you want to advertise, as long as it's compatible with the theology of Iron Sharpens Iron, we would love for you to advertise with us, whether it is your parachurch organization or your church or your business or your professional practice, whether you're a doctor, a lawyer, a dentist, a chiropractor, whether it is just a special event you're having. As long as it is compatible with what we believe here, it doesn't have to be identical, it just needs to be compatible. Like, for instance, I would love to see uh, some Lutheran churches uh, advertising on our program, even though I happen to be a full-blooded, red-blooded, five-point Calvinist. Uh, I uh, do not consider uh, my Lutheran friends as being militating against my beliefs. And so as long as you are compatible with what we teach here, we would love to hear from you with your request for an advertising campaign. And we would love to launch one with you because the advertising dollars are certainly sorely needed. That's chrisarnson at gmail.com, chrisarnson at gmail.com, and put advertising in the subject line. And that's also the email address to send in a question to Dr. Matt Richard uh, right now, uh, chrisarnson at gmail.com, chrisarnson at gmail.com. And uh, we are uh, discussing on today's program uh, a very important subject uh, that... Uh, every uh, Christian, I think, needs to take heed of in our modern age. Ministry and church planting in an ever-changing culture. And uh, send us an email at chrisarnson at gmail.com. And please give us your first name, city, and state, and country of residence. Uh, Dr. Richard, before we went to the break, uh, RJ in White Plains, New York, was wondering if this uh, 
this time uh, chart that you have, this evaluation of when things radically changed, uh, especially in the modern era, are you including in your understanding what was happening globally in the church, especially in Western Europe, or is this exclusively the United States and North America, perhaps, that you're talking about? Yeah, when I say the 1960s and 70s, I'm, I'm referring to just, uh, we would say, basically the United States. And and again, you know, you could look at Europe, and, and, and obviously when we look at Europe, I mean, I think, boy, the most recent stats I heard was that three to four percent of the population attends church over there, and so you have you have you have huge churches over in Europe, and many of them are being uh, trans- transformed into nightclubs. I mean, I, sh- I shouldn't, I, I kind of gasp at that. I mean, but that's just unfortunately true. Yeah, but you have a lot of churches in America that are nightclubs. I mean, that's how yeah. they worship. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very true, very good, true. And you know, even in Canada, I mean, Canada is going to be a little bit further down the road than we are. Um, much more, much more down the road than we are for the timetable. So yeah, when I when I refer to this, this is a very much uh, uh, tracing from right here in America um, back backwards in Western civilization all the way back to 32 A.D. And even in America, though, we we would have to acknowledge uh, that there's going to be a vast difference uh, between this, uh, you know, what we're talking about on the West Coast and East Coast versus the Midwest. Um, I think the Midwest, uh, North Dakota, where I'm at, I I believe we have the highest attendance of uh, church attendance uh, in the United States, uh, percentage-wise, uh, wow. here in North Dakota. And and so, you know, definitely the, the narrative of Christianity <clears throat> is much more prevalent here. Um, you know, and then I guess, I boy, my little tiny town of Gwinner, uh, 800 people, there's only really three churches here in town. But uh, in a lot of ways, I'm the town pastor, and, you know, I, when I say the town pastor, um, I, I pretty much know everyone, and, uh, you know, if there's a concern, uh, they, 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 hey, go talk to Pastor Richard. Even if they're not a part of my parish, I get people coming to talk to me. And so you definitely have, uh, to a certain extent, that respect um, for uh, the church itself. In fact, in our little town of Gwinter, um at 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock, and I believe at 6 o'clock, you have the, uh, the, uh, the bells going off. Our bells uh, uh, chime at 3 o'clock. Um, we have it set at the time that Jesus was crucified. And so the bells go off. Uh, the other church has it going off at noon, and another bell system goes off at 6 o'clock. So you have church bells ringing throughout the day. Um, and that definitely shows in our little tiny town that we're still kind of in that majority position where there's a little bit of that influence of the church where the pastor's respected and where the uh, Christian narrative is is there and, and prevalent. But again, if you go to the West Coast and the East Coast, um, and even, uh, you know, seen in maybe some of the bigger cities here in North Dakota, you're, you're seeing a shift away from that majority period to that minority period uh, where Christianity is being marginalized to kind of the outskirts of society. Well, if we're going to be honest, though, isn't the popularity of Zion Lutheran Church in Gwinner, North Dakota, because of the Gwinner Gwinner Chicken Dinner? <laughs> uh, we have Reverend Buzz Taylor has something to say. I'm, I'm, just, I'm kind of curious as you're going through this. I'm thinking through the 60s and 70s because uh, the tail end of that is where I came into all of this. And I'm just wondering if you could comment on how much of our move away from the uh, majority position uh, was caused by, for example, we had a massive Sunday school movement, uh, gradation of of the ages, uh, the... Uh, like a segregation of the ages. 
of the, of the great, well, yes, the separation of, you know, all of a sudden uh, the, the Sunday school matched the, the uh, public schools as far as the grades, the grade levels separating people, of course. And then there was the, um, the, the massive bus movement. You know, there was jokes about Jerry Falwell's buses, you know, crashing with Jack Howell's buses in Texas, you know, that kind of stuff. But, you know, the emphasis became so much on numbers and bringing people in that the emphasis kind of came off of, of the, the mission of the church anyway. Uh, and, it, you know, it was more important that you did whatever gimmicks came down the pike uh, to, to get those people, just to get the numbers in there. Do you think that had any, a lot to do with what changed everything in the 70s? You know, it, it, there's going to be a lot of different factors, I mean, coming into this. And, I mean, you could trace this back to, um, even back to the Enlightenment, um, the, the, the assault of rationalism upon the Church itself. Um, there's also, within America, the anti-intellectualism uh, that kind of came about um, at our foundation. So the, there's all these different reasons for this happening. Um, but what, what we can know for sure, I, I, I guess I, I want to be careful how much I speculate, but what I, we do know for certain uh, is that uh, David Kinnaman, in his book, uh, You Lost Me, he, he's uh, president of Barna Research Group, and he, he does point back to the 19, 1960s and 70s, and he really points to that mark and says, you know, something happened in the church with attendance. Uh, people were fairly consistent with attendance. Um, so in other words, you would see the 20-year-olds there. You would see the teenagers there. You would see 30 and 40s and 50s. Everyone was there. But after the 60s and the 70s, um, you, you saw very much a, a breakaway. And, and you know, I, I, I don't want to point fingers at each generational group because every generation has its own struggles. But we really see this with the... Um, uh, the baby boomer generation, almost kind of that revolt when we think of uh, Woodstock, that revolt against the establishment, the revolt against authority. And so there's, there's a kind of a pushing back of, of grandpa and grandma, or mom and dad's religion, right? And uh, uh, so there, there was a, definitely a breakaway uh, from that. And then mixed with that, obviously, you're going to have uh, different ideological movements um, at work. And so what we have to understand is that in society, uh, you have ideas, and ideas have consequences, and ideas are being taught, and there are, they're, they're very, very big. They're like tectonic plates, and they shift and they move, and then as a result of that, you have the rumblings in society. So what we're seeing even right now in our day and age is uh, this is a whole different topic. This would be a, be a fun, different, fun to have a different show on this one, but what we see right now at work is a neo-Marxist ideology at work in our college campuses, not every college campus, but that's resulting in many of the different protests that we're seeing today. And so it, it's, it's driven by an idea. It's driven by a, uh, a system of thinking. And so uh, back to that, I mean, all the, the details as far as uh, changing the numbers, I do, think, I do think that the church picked up on this in the 1960s and 70s, seeing that there was a decline, especially in the, the younger people coming to church. And the church started to realize at that point in time um, you know, this idea like, boy, I think you know, something's wrong. We're, we're starting to lose people. And as a result of that, there was definitely a push, a reaction to that, a response to the 1960s and 70s, which we uh, can see that happened with different evangelism programs where there was a, a, a sense where we were going to try to stop the bleeding, you know, to, to, to attack that and to stop the uh, bleeding of the loss of numbers. And so we've really had, since the 1960s and 70s, up into the 80s and 90s, 
we've had all these different programs that have developed. Uh, we think of uh, Rick Warren with the church growth movement. We think of the emergent church, um, you know, that developed with uh, people such as Rob Bell and uh, Brian McLaren. You have all these different movements that were, are attempting to stop the loss of numbers um, to try to withhold the reality that we're entering into this minority period. Um, but to really pinpoint it on one thing, uh, boy, I think it would be very, very difficult. I think you're going to have multiple different ideologies at work as well as different sociological things at work within that as well. Yeah, one thing that uh, is interesting um, and tragic is that you have evangelicals who are supposed to believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, who are supposed to be uh, believers in the primacy of preaching, uh, people who are supposed to be concerned about honoring and revering God and uh, not uh, treating God and his worship in a trite way. You have the evangelical movement so desperate to reclaim people that have left their midst that they are willing to do their best to lure goats back into the pen by throwing goat food out the window and attracting goats in by trying to appeal to and appease the tastes, interests, and desires of goats. Uh, so you have more and more people involved in these mega churches and these seeker-sensitive churches where you don't even know how many people within the membership ranks are actually uh, regenerate people. You have people that may be there just purely to be entertained, purely to have their needs met, their physical needs met, or perhaps even emotional needs met because sermons are becoming more like counseling sessions uh, in a pop psychology sort of way rather than a biblical way than they are actual worship services. And um, something interesting just happened recently uh, that uh, the Reverend Buzz Taylor is familiar with. Uh, I had a pastor's luncheon uh, just a few weeks ago, uh, and the invitations were exclusively for men in ministry. And there was a local uh, woman who has some sort of pastoral role at an Elka congregation, Evangelical Lutheran Church of America denomination, which is obviously uh, uh, an ironic name for that denomination because it is neither evangelical nor Lutheran. (laughs) But um, she started a bit of an uproar on Facebook, uh, especially uh, in complaining to the guest of honor who was at the luncheon, uh, Steve Bloom, who is a Pennsylvania state representative running for Congress. He is a conservative, Bible-believing, unwaveringly dedicated Christian. And uh, this uh, woman was complaining that I did not invite women in ministry, and it er really erupted into a mini firestorm of over 200 uh, comments, many of them nasty, on the Facebook page of Steve Bloom. Uh, But one of the women said something very interesting and very revealing as to this mindset of modern Christianity, and I use the term Christianity very loosely. Uh, She said... Uh, and I'm paraphrasing because I don't have her quote in front of me, but she said something to the effect, and I know this is very close to what she said, uh, hopefully we will begin to learn more from society 
on how to change the church in such a way that it will not hurt and exclude people. Now, isn't it interesting is that she believes society is supposed to be a light to the church rather than the church being a light to the world. Yeah, yeah, and then right there, I mean, what, what we see that's happening is this, is, is to be a Christian in that majority period, uh, is, for the most part, it's, it's, it's relatively um, without persecution, we could say. Uh, you know, it's, it's easy to be a part of something when everybody else is doing it, but when you enter into this second minority uh, period uh, from the 1960s and 70s, it's going to become much like that first uh, 300 years of the church. Uh, the Christian itself, the Christian himself or herself, is going to be finding more and more that they're going to be in the minority uh, position in culture. So as a result of that, uh, we really are faced with uh, two options. And uh, those two options are simply this. Uh, if, if you're in the minority, if you're not the popular kid on the block, you can either say, you know what, it doesn't matter, and say, I know what I believe and I, and I, and I believe it, and I confess it with boldness, and I'm not going to really pay attention to the, the winds of culture. So when uh, culture is like a re-blowing in the wind, snapping back and forth, it can blow and do whatever it wants. It doesn't matter. I'm going to remain steadfast in the word of Christ and in the great confession of who Jesus is for me. Um, kind of be that stick in the mud. Or the other option is this, is that you capitulate. You go along with the crowd. You become that lemming, and you, and you just follow the crowd and the uh, culture of the age. And that's really what we're finding right now in Christianity. Right now in 2017, we are much more in that minority position. And when that heat comes from culture, that persecution, and that, uh, you know, that, that military term, that blowback of culture, when it comes and we find ourselves being um, under that pressure and that persecution, it's either going to cause us, Lord willing, to dig our heels in and say, uh, I respectfully disagree, this is what I believe, and this is why I believe it, and I am a Christian in Christ, or we capitulate um, and we jump ship and we go to go the way of culture to harmonize that, to, to maybe um, be relevant. I, I, boy, how many times have I heard that term, that the church needs to be relevant, which is code word for you give up on your grandpa and grandma's religion and you just kind of go along with culture. Uh, you drop that dry and dusty old Bible and you know, maybe kick it to the side of the curb and, and get with the times. Um, all of these phrase, phrases that we hear are attempting to get that church to uh, you know, adapt to the uh, new position. But the reality is this, is in the first 300 years, uh, the church was in a minority position, and it confessed Christ. Um, and right now, it doesn't change. Um, in fact, we're going to have to be getting used to, in my opinion, more and more persecution, more and more um, of a sense where we are marginalized as Christians, but that really doesn't matter. It doesn't stop the confession of Christ. It didn't stop the confession of Christ in the first 300 years, and nor should it do it now. Yeah, the, it, it is ironic that in some senses, even though you would probably hardly ever find somebody who would admit it in quite this blunt and clear and honest way, but you have the church that should be on a rescue mission to search for and find and compel to come in uh, those who are lost, those who are wandering and 
searching in the wrong places, uh, those who are even the enemies of Christ. Uh, we, are, we are supposed to be on a rescue mission to enable them to discover the gospel, to hear the truths about the scriptures, uh, and many churches, even ones that profess to be evangelical, are now viewing the lost world around us as the rescuers because they are going to rescue us by making our numbers grow, by making our coffers more filled with money, by enabling us to finish or start uh, building projects so we can build a bigger sanctuary to fill, to, to fit all of these goats that we fill our auditoriums with and to build gymnasiums and to build everything else that they need to be more comfortable in our houses of quote quote worship uh, to uh, have it really be more uh, resemble more of a shopping mall uh, like the mall of America or something rather than an actual house of worship it's, it's as if we are looking to them to rescue us isn't it yeah, absolutely. And well, here's, here's the thing that we have to keep in mind is, is back in that majority position, that majority time, um, if you do evangelism, again, we, we can say this in that majority time, if you do evangelism and outreach to a person, you could start with the assumption that they knew the basics of uh, the Christian faith, the basic story. So really to bring in somebody who uh, was unchurched, you know, back in that majority period, um, it wasn't a whole lot of uh, work for assimilation, right? I mean, they, they, they kind of understood the basics of how a church was and what, you know, the story itself. So they could relatively, um, you know, kind of uh, walk right into the church and, and uh, um, after hearing the gospel become a member. Um, but now in our day and age, uh, again, we have to understand now that our culture uh, has lost the basic narrative, the basic story of Christianity. And so the words that we use, our worldview that we have as Christians, is, is completely foreign to the average person in society right now. So then that leaves, here's the, here's the big crux. Here's the, uh, uh, really, uh, again, two ways we can go. We can either adapt the church, uh, change the church to fit the culture, uh, which I would say that is uh, us selling out, um, and individuals will say, well, aren't you supposed to know the culture? And I would say, yes, we know the culture. We have to understand sociology. We understand how culture thinks and who they are so that we might evangelize and speak to them in a way that they can understand. But then here's the burden of the church. We don't change the church to become like the culture. We actually take individuals from the culture, and here's the word that we use as Lutherans, is that we catechize them. Uh, the word catechize is to teach them. Uh, so we teach them the faith. So we bring them into the church, and we teach them the, um, the essentials of the Christian faith, which for us as Lutherans is the uh, small catechism, which is basically taking them through the Ten Commandments, uh, the Apostles' Creed, and the Lord's Prayer. They're very meat and potatoes of the Christian faith. So the burden is, again, not, uh, you know, I see so many churches trying to adapt to culture and there's very little emphasis on saying, no, we need to get people of the culture and teach them and catechize, assimilate them into the church, that the burden is on them to learn the Christian faith rather than us selling out. Uh, if you could, Reverend Buzz Taylor, hold on to your thought. Don't forget it because we're going to our last break, and uh, you could ask your question or give your comment when we return. 
And if anybody would like to join us, now is the time to do it before we run out of time. Our email address is chrisarnson at gmail.com. chrisarnson at gmail.com. Don't go away. We'll be back with our final half hour of our discussion with Dr. Matt Richard of Zion Lutheran Church in Gwinner, North Dakota, on the theme, Ministry and Church Planting in an Ever-Changing Culture. God willing, we'll be right back, so don't go away. Have you been blessed by Iron Sharpens Iron Radio? We remain on the air because of our faithful sponsors and because of listeners like you. There are four ways you can help. First, do you know potential sponsors who may wish to advertise their goods or services on Iron Sharpens Iron Radio? Second, whenever possible, purchase the products or use the services that our sponsors advertise. And then let them know that you heard about them on Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. Thirdly, you can also donate to Iron Sharpens Iron Radio by going to our website at ironsharpensironradio.com and click support at the top of the page. But most importantly, keep Iron Sharpens Iron Radio in your prayers. We hope that Iron Sharpens Iron Radio blesses you for many years to come. Hi, I'm Pastor Bill Shishko, inviting you to tune in to A Visit to the Pastor's Study every Saturday from 12 noon to 1 p.m. Eastern Time on WLIE Radio, www.wlie540am.com. We bring biblically faithful pastoral ministry to you, and we invite you to visit the Pastor's Study by calling in with your questions. Our time will be lively, useful, and I assure you, never dull. Join us this Saturday at 12 noon Eastern Time for a visit to the Pastor's Study because everyone needs a pastor. Are you a Christian looking to align your faith and finances? Then you'll want to check out Thriving Financial. We're not your typical financial services provider. We're a not-for-profit Fortune 500 organization that helps our nearly 2.4 million members be wise with money. We provide guidance that reflects your values so you can protect what matters most. We help members live generously and strengthen the communities where they live, work, and worship. Learn more about the Thriven story by contacting me, Mike Gallagher, financial consultant, at 717-254-6433. Again, 717 717- Two five four six four three three. We know we were made for so much more than ordinary life. Blending faith, finances, and generosity. That's the thriving story. Lindbrook Baptist Church on 225 Earl Avenue in Lindbrook, Long Island is teaching God's timeless truths in the 21st century. Our church is far more than a Sunday worship service. It's a place of learning where the scriptures are studied and the preaching of the gospel is clear and relevant. It's like a gym where one can exercise their faith through community involvement. It's like a hospital for wounded souls where one can find compassionate people in healing. We're a diverse family of all ages. Enthusiastically serving our Lord Jesus Christ. In fellowship, play, and together. Hi, I'm Pastor Bob Alderman, and I invite you to come and join us here at Lindbrook Baptist Church and see all that a church can be. Call Lindbrook Baptist at 516-599-9402. That's 516-599-9402. Or visit lindbrookbaptist.org. That's lindbrookbaptist.org. Charles Haddon Spurgeon once said, 
Give yourself unto reading. The man who never reads will never be read. He who never quotes will never be quoted. He who will not use the thoughts of other men's brains proves that he has no brains of his own. You need to read. Solid Ground Christian Books is a publisher and book distributor who takes these words of the Prince of Preachers to heart. The mission of Solid Ground Christian Books is to bring back treasures of the past to minister to Christians in the present and future and to publish new titles that address burning issues in the church and the world. Since its beginning in 2001, Solid Ground has been committed to publish God-centered, Christ-exalting books for all ages. We invite you to go treasure hunting at solid-ground-books.com. That's solid-ground-books.com and see what priceless literary gems from the past or present you can unearth from Solid Ground. Solid Ground Christian Books is honored to be a weekly sponsor of Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. Hi, I'm Chris Arnzen, host of Iron Sharpens Iron Radio, here to tell you about an exciting offer from World Magazine, my trusted source for news from a Christian perspective. Try World at no charge for 90 days and get a free copy of R.C. Sproul's book, Relationship Between Church and State. I rely on World because I trust the reporting. I gain insight from the analysis, and World provides clarity to the news stories that really matter. I believe you'll also find World to be an invaluable resource to better understand critical topics with a depth that's simply not found in other media outlets. Armed with this coverage, World can help you to be a voice of wisdom in your family and your community. This trial includes bi-weekly issues of World Magazine, on-scene reporting from World Radio, and the fully shareable content of World Digital. Simply visit wmg.org forward slash iron sharpens to get your world trial and Dr. Sproul's book all free. No obligation with no credit card required. Visit World News Group at wmg.org forward slash iron sharpens today. Hi, I'm Buzz Taylor, frequent co-host with Chris Arnson on Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. I would like to introduce you to my good friends Todd and Patty Jennings at CVBBS, which stands for Cumberland Valley Bible Book Service. Todd and Patty specialize in supplying Reformed and Puritan books and Bibles at discount prices that make them affordable to everyone. Since 1987, the family-owned and operated book service has sought to bring you the best available Christian books and Bibles at the best possible prices. Unlike other book sites, they make no effort to provide every book that is available because, frankly, much of what is being printed is not worth your time. That means you can get to the good stuff faster. It also means that you don't have to worry about being assaulted by the pornographic, heretical, and otherwise faith-insulting material promoted by the secular book vendors. Their website is cvbbs.com. Browse the pages at ease, shop at your leisure, and purchase with confidence as Todd and Patty work in service to you, the church, and to Christ. That's Cumberland Valley Bible Book Service at cvbbs.com. That's cvbbs.com. Let Todd and Patty know that you heard about them on Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. And don't forget, you could also call cvbbs.com at 800-656-0231. 800-656-0231. And don't forget about the 
offer. If you purchase $50 or more of Bibles, books, and other Christian materials, you will get for free, while the supplies still last, a hardback book titled The Legacy of Luther, edited by Dr. R.C. Sproul and Dr. Stephen J. Nichols of Ligonier Ministries. And as I said, you'll get that absolutely free with a purchase of $50 or more. We are now uh, with uh, our guest again, Dr. Matt Richard of Zion Lutheran Church in Gwinner, North Dakota. And we are discussing the theme, Ministry and Church Planting in an Ever-Changing Culture. If you'd like to join us, now is the time to do it because we're running out of time. ChrisArnzen at gmail.com, C-H-R-I-S-A-R-N-Z-E-N at gmail.com. Please give us your first name, city, and state, and country of residence if you live outside of the USA. And by the way, uh, <clears throat> Dr. Richard, I don't know if you're familiar with Thrivent Financial, one of our sponsors of Iron Sharp and Zion Radio, the local fi- uh, Thrivent Financial is, that is. Um, the uh, uh, Thrivent Financial began as uh, exclusively a Missouri Synod Lutheran financial organization and um, just uh, uh, not so long ago opened up for membership to uh, Christians of all denominations, but it was at one time exclusively a Missouri Synod uh, uh, financial uh, non-for-profit organization. Yeah, there was actually uh, Lutheran Brotherhood, not not Lutheran Brethren, but Lutheran Brotherhood and uh, Aid Association for Lutherans, two separate organizations, and they came together. Boy, I can't recall which which year that was, but then they, they formed Thrivent, uh, so it was kind of a, a coming together of the two different uh, insurance and uh, you know investment uh, organizations for Lutherans, and then they came together for Thrivent. But yep, yep, you're correct. Uh, I think it was a couple of years ago that they opened it up uh, to uh, to a larger market. And we do have uh, the Reverend Buzz Taylor, my co-host, who has something he wanted to say. Yeah, I hope I'm correct. Uh, you know, clearly connecting the dots here because this is based on conversations that I've actually had with people of late. But you are mentioning one, one clear thing that is, is present in our, in our worship that uh, is a, a good thermometer is, is the music of, of the church. And we're talking about trends here, about uh, going from the, the majority to the minority position and, and the uh, quest to hang on to the, uh, uh, the numbers and so forth. But you also mentioned at the beginning of the program that the particular uh, group that you are a member of the in the Lutheran Church is uh, less liturgical, if you will, than the others. Uh, and I'm just kind of wondering how all that affects the music of your church compared to the others and how that fits into the broader discussion of the trends that we're, we're discussing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you, you look at the lyrics of music. I mean, you definitely hit on something very, very uh, key there. Uh, if you turn to some of the older hymns, um, you, you look at the, the language and the story of what they communicate. I'm thinking of a, a recent uh, hymn that we sing by Martin Luther. It was ten verses long. And uh, the, the, the lyrics are, are just rich. They tell the whole story. And, and uh, uh, it's just absolutely incredibly rich lyrics. But yet, and then we see today, and I, I'm not trying to be... When I say this, I'm not trying to come across as just a cantankerous old person, you know, grumbling at young people's music. But I have a serious concern with the music that is uh, being sung this day, uh, these days. Uh, the music itself is very, very shallow, and I, I don't think we can deny that. It's very shallow, the lyrics, um, very repetitive. Um, and it really doesn't tell the story that it once once did. I mean, all you have to do is, again, look back four or five hundred years ago to the hymns that they were singing. Um, definitely uh, much more 
rich in the uh, theology of, of Christianity. And again, I would say that comes back to um, a more well-educated laity um, in a lot of ways. Um, but So I think, I think the way that the church also sings its songs is going to give way of evidence of, of whether or not they're uh, have succumbed to this second minority period. In other words, uh, really, like I said, there's two options. Either you, you know what you believe in you and you believe it I- itself and you hold on to it in this second minority period, or you start to capitulate and give into the culture. And I think that's very, very much true when you start uh, divorcing yourself from the rich theology that we have. And our music sounds more like um, the Grammys than it would uh, from the historic uh, music itself. You know, uh, being less liturgical than your uh, other uh, Lutheran brethren, uh, is your music... Uh, Actually, it's reverse. Missouri Synod is more liturgical. Yes. Yes, yeah, yeah. Missouri Synod is going to be much, much more liturgical. Um, the, uh, the the music that we sing yes. is going to be much older. Um, and there's also a thing on this, too. I mean, I, I think... Now, this is not true all the, all the time, but I, I would say that if you ask a Christian what uh, the authors that they're reading, I, I, think, I think it's really characteristic to ask a person what they read. And I, I would say I read mostly dead people. <laughs> you know, I, read, <laughs> I, I read dead theologians, um, and, and I find that I'm, I'm most helped by uh, the sermons of Luther. I mean, each week when I preach uh, my sermons, I'm reading Luther uh, from the 1500s. Oh. I'm also reading C.F.W. Walther. I mean, I'm reading a guy, uh, Bo Geertz. He was a, 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 a Lutheran over in the Scandinavian country. Um, and so I'm reading these dead theologians, these dead pastors. And not that we can't have, there's some excellent stuff out there now, but but I think when we look to the past, if we're suspicious of the past and we're thinking, that you know, the past needs to go away, um, I think that's a very, very key characteristic um, that one is, is, is kind of capitulating under the pressure and the persecution, um, you know, of the second minority period. Now, obviously, we have to admit, too, the second minority period, at least in America, we're not facing near the persecution of that first 300 years. And no way, shape, or form is it the same. But my whole point is that we're, we're shifting out of that time of comfort, that time of majority, the time of influence for Christianity to this place where we are finding ourselves um, on the sidelines of culture. Didn't you want to have a thread that you were going on there? Well, I was just kind of curious how, how the differences in, in the, the, the Lutheran groups uh, were manifest in music because of one being more liturgical than the other. And, and I, I'm in agreement. I mean, uh, but like I said, this is something that uh, I've been uh, studying out of late is uh, church music and so forth and how it, you know, it affects well, how it's used in worship. And I was just wondering, like, in, in a less liturgical Lutheran setting, is there more contemporary music? Yes, I, was, I would say that, generally speaking, that is true. Um, I would say that the more, uh, the more that one rejects the liturgy, uh, the more you're going to have the contemporary. But we, we also have to keep in mind, though, too, there are some definitely very, very liturgical churches out there that are extremely liberal, um, that uh, have, mm-hmm. have, have, have looked at Scripture, the inerrancy of Scripture, and Scripture is nothing more than a book of myths to them. And so we've got to be careful that, that we don't overcharacterize on that. But I think the general observation, could you say that uh, churches that are less liturgical um, have more contemporary worship um, and more of the spirit of the age, I would say that, generally speaking, is a yes. Whereas uh, the more liturgical that you find yourself, the more you're going to be reaching back in time uh, to some of these really rich uh, hymns um, that, that came before. But it's not only that necessarily time, but it's also 
there are hymns and there are songs today that are, are very, very good, but they're going to be by authors and individuals who have refused to um, buckle under the pressure of going along with times that are going to remain steadfast. I love that word steadfast. They're going to remain steadfast in the confession of the scriptures, uh, steadfast of who we are in Christ, and they're not going to be that reed blowing in the wind, uh, snapping to and fro, being tossed back and forth by the waves of whatever is popular in the moment. Mm-hmm. And uh, just have to put my own two cents in as a Reformed Baptist and being from a very low church tradition, uh, the, the uh, Reformed Baptists are not typically known. I'm not saying that there are no Reformed Baptists that haven't caved into uh, the modern worship movement. Uh, and not to uh, exclude anything that's modern, uh, Keith Getty, uh, Keith Getty and his wife uh, have been producing some really remarkable and God-glorifying, God-centered, biblically rich music, uh, and they are uh, contemporary uh, artists. And uh, in fact, uh, one uh, of the the duo, uh, Keith, is going to be speaking at the G3 conference coming up in Atlanta, Georgia. But uh, I'm sure that as someone who is a part of a highly liturgical group, you would even admit that the other problem in that realm is that you can cave into dead formalism and even vain repetition and that kind of a thing, as the Church of Rome has been famous for, Uh, and even the Church of Rome, by the way. uh, I, I am a former Roman Catholic, and the Church of Rome since the 60s, uh, I can remember the uh, folk mass, which I don't know uh, if that is as common as it was then. Of course, it would, uh, maybe with different kinds of music than I grew up with. But they were actually singing, believe it or not, and I kid you not, when I was growing up as a, as a young boy in the Catholic Church, during the folk masses, they would actually be singing, at times, Beatles music, like Let It Be. Uh, be just because of the fact that the, the lyrics include, in those times of darkness, Mother Mary comes to me, s- speaking yeah, words yeah. of wisdom. Uh, but anyway, I digress. <laughs> uh, but, but would you admit yes. that, that, that liturg- <laughs> l- high liturgy is not any certainty of uh, something very seriously wrong entering into the worship? Well, I would say that uh, when it comes to liturgy, the, the, you definitely there can be a problem where it becomes... Uh, just the rote of what we do, and, and that would be, I would say, that would be a failure of teaching. You know, uh, everything that we do uh, in life, and, and especially like in the church service, we do things for a reason. And so uh, I would say, like, here at, at Zion Lutheran, we're constantly teaching um, what we do and why. And so the way that I face the church and the way that I talk, the way that my body language all has a reason and a purpose for uh, serving the gospel, for serving the people. Um, you know, we, we say, you know, here at Zion that we want to have good order, um, not, not for the sake of being a bunch of legalistic nitpicks, but having good order for the sake of, of uh, clarity for the people. Um, so they know what's going on in the service, so it's always about teaching them. But, but you're right. I mean, it, it, with anything, we can, we can go down that road so we can fall off the ditch on the one side where we just go through the motions and do, do the liturgy and not know what we're doing. And on the other side... We completely divorce everything from the history, and we, uh, like you said, bring the Beatles in, and, and we've gone off the ditch on the other side. And so I, I would say, you know, when it comes down to it, it's about confessing Christ and his gifts for us clearly as we can, 
and and I mean this is really brings us to the point of this last uh, this last segment of time that we're talking about in this minority period that we find ourselves in. Uh, we as the church, we have to buckle down and know what we believe and why, which means that we have to study even more than we've ever had to study before. We need to know um, the truths of the Scripture, to know our Bibles, to be able to know the culture, um, because we can no longer assume that those around us are friendlies and assume that everyone gets it. We have to be able to uh, have more teaching, not less, uh, so that we can engage a culture with a robust confession and oftentimes do apologetics, defending the faith in the marketplace. And so it's really disheartening when I see many churches, um, you know, dumbing things down. Mm. But when right now in our time and place in the second minority period, we need to actually be going the opposite direction, which means more teaching, uh, more Bible studies, more preaching, uh, more devotions as a family um, being rooted uh, deeply uh, because the storm is coming, you know, the storm of the second minority minority period is coming, and it's going to be very, very easy for Christians who are not rooted in the Word uh, to uh, just get swept along. And unfortunately, I hate to say that, but that's really the thrust of where this is all going, is to know what we believe and to believe it and to confess it with boldness, uh, trusting Christ, whatever the future may hold. And Reverend Bostella? Yeah, I, I have learned uh, not to apply that term, uh, dead orthodoxy, to uh, liturgy uh, because I was, I was raised for the first like uh, eight years or so of my life in the Episcopal Church. And uh, of course, then for like nine years, we didn't go anywhere. And then we started going to a fundamental Baptist church where uh, my whole family came to Christ and we got churched after that, after a long lull. And uh, I called my brother and my sister just for fun on something, and it said, uh, can you recite the, the Nicene Creed? And both of them started reciting it verbatim. And I'm like, now how do you know that? They said, well, because we used to sing that every Sunday in the Episcopal Church. And I'm thinking, now, you know, dead orthodoxy, it, we would have claimed in later years that we never heard the gospel in the Episcopal Church. But yet right there in the creeds and in the epistle readings and in the, the various Bible readings, it was clearly, it was clearly there. And, but this is the foundation that I believe that, if I'm hearing you correctly, we don't have today. You know, we talk about God the Creator. People are like, well, there's, there's no Creator. We don't have any of that backdrop. We'd have, you know, they don't know nothing about Jesus being the Son of God. They know nothing about the Holy Spirit proceeding from the Father and the Son. All these things that used to be fairly common knowledge in society are no longer that way. Yeah, yeah, and that, that's the exact point that I'm saying. And, 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 you know, the, uh, I mentioned it earlier, that book by David Kinnaman, uh, You Lost Me, and, and in his concluding, concluding chapters, I'll just read this brief quote, he says this, after countless interviews and conversations, I'm convinced that historic and traditional practices and orthodox and wisdom-laden ways of believing are what the next generation really needs. And so I guess the point is, and this is what you hit out here, is that we need an anchor. Uh, I mean, we, we, we really do. We, you know, thinking about being a ship, we need to have an anchor as we enter into this next period of time as the church, where we are no longer uh, in a place of comfort, where we no longer can take these things for granted. We need to have an anchor, something that we attach to and we hold on to as culture goes left and right. Again, that, 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 that imagery of the uh, uh, reed blowing in the wind, um, or the waves going up and down. We need to have that anchor 
and not as a dead orthodoxy. I agree with you there, that not just something that we recite, but something that we recite and we know what it means and what it's talking about. So when we say the Lord's Prayer, we can know exactly what Jesus is teaching us to say in the Lord's Prayer, that that, that great prayer of Jesus is forming all of our prayers. And then the Ten Commandments themselves, those Ten Commandments are, are, are shaping and forming our ethics of what is right and what's wrong, what I should do and what I should not do. And then we come to that Apostles' Creed, which is just a real great summary of the Christian faith. So we know who God is and what he has done for us. Um, and having those basic, uh, those basic teachings as an anchor uh, that we hold on to and that we learn from uh, not only helps us weather the storms, but it does, in a sense, connect us um, to those Christians who came before us, um, dating all the way back to that first uh, 300 years, that first minority period. And if you could, uh, Dr. Richard, uh, give us about three minutes of summary of what you most want etched in the hearts and minds of our listeners today, uh, uninterrupted. Yeah. I would say simply this, is that as we look to this next uh, how many hundreds of years that we have before us, I think we can learn the most by looking to those Christians of the first 300 years. Uh, we have a lot more in common with them, um, living a life of uh, maybe persecution, living a life of not necessarily being the popular kid on the block. And in so doing, uh, we, we, we really need to guard. You know, God protect us from wanting to jump ship. Or God protect us of wanting to, uh, again, like I said, capitulate to culture, but rather to remain steadfast uh, in his word. Uh, studying more, knowing what we believe and why, having those anchors uh, in, these, uh, in, in the scriptures themselves and uh, uh, remaining steadfast for whatever is before us. Because really, ultimately, when it comes down to it, whether the church is favored or whether it's in the minority position, uh, whether good times are good or bad, like Paul says to Timothy, uh, we preach the word in season and out of season. And right now, we're, as a church, becoming out of season. But that doesn't matter. We confess Christ uh, for the forgiveness of sins uh, to our last dying breath because Jesus Christ is our hope and our salvation, and he has purchased and won each and every one of us uh, by his shed blood for us. Well, I know that the Zion Lutheran Church of Gwinner, North Dakota's website is ZionGwinner.org. That's Zion, G-W-I-N-N-E-R dot O-R-G. I also know that your blog can be found at PastorMattRichard.com. PastorMattRichard.com. Do you have any other contact information that you care to get? Um, I'm also involved with an organization called Worldview Everlasting. They're on YouTube um, with several other guys, uh, uh, Brian Wolfmuller and Jonathan Fisk, and we do we do weekly uh, vlogs. They're called basically uh, uh, short little snippets, videos that we do on the uh, YouTube itself. So if people want to check that out, it's Worldview Everlasting. Um, if you just search that on Google, or not Google, excuse me, on YouTube, you can find that as well. Great, and I'm almost certain that uh, that name Jonathan Fisk sounds very familiar. I think that Chris Rosebro uh, recommended that I interview him. Um, can you tell us something more about Jonathan? Yeah, Jonathan, uh, he, he, is a, uh, uh, he, he works at KFUO Radio in St. Louis. Uh, so he has a couple programs that he does at KFUO Radio in St. Louis. I believe it's the longest and oldest AM radio station in the St. Louis metro area. Uh, he was a former pastor up in my neck of the woods here in North Dakota, 
a very, very gifted uh, pastor, and uh, uh, he has also a gift of uh, being able to be on the uh, YouTube. He has a lot of, quite a few big YouTube um, videos. I think our, the YouTube station that we're a part of that we all, it's really mainly, it was his kind of production. Uh, there's several million hits on it, so it's very, very popular on YouTube, um, especially among Lutheran circles. Great. Well, I will look into inviting him. And, of course, we've already had Brian Wolfmuller on, and I intend to have him back on again uh, in the future. But it was so great to have you back on the program, Dr. Richard. We look forward to your return. I want to thank everybody uh, for listening today, especially those who took the time to write in questions. I want to thank my co-host, the Reverend Buzz Taylor, for being here. And I uh, hope that you all always remember for the rest of your lives that Jesus Christ is a far, far greater Savior then you are a sinner. We look forward to your for your questions tomorrow for our guest on Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. God bless.